As grandparents, we are, now and then, concerned about the behavior of our grands. If they have a meltdown at Target or can't hold it together when served a meal they don't like, we're sometimes at a loss as to what to do. But what if the unstable person in the relationship is the grandparent? What if the person who's lost control is the one charged with maintaining control? I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And in this episode of The Grand Life, we talk with John Henry Parker, a writer and behavioral analyst. His work is often geared toward veterans, mostly men, who struggle with mental health and can benefit from the transformational work that Parker is passionate about. He helps men evolve to become better men, fathers, husbands, and grandfathers. Welcome to The Grand Life, John Henry. It's great to have you on. It's nice to be here. Thank you. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked to an author about transformational listening. She's pretty passionate about it, also believes it really makes a difference in relationships of all kinds, including grandparenting. And in this episode, we're going to talk about your own passion regarding transformational work. So what does that actually mean, transformational work? Well, I think it means, for me, it's about acknowledging that I I have a past and that I was really conditioned as a child in my environment and then going in the military and, you know, what came along with that were a lot of limiting beliefs and a lot of conditioned ways of being, a lot of observing what it was like to be a parent by watching my parents. And, you know, just uh, in the military, they have a, it's a vice-like grip of conformity and it takes a while to get over that and all the experiences I've had. And so, you know, being happy, finding out what really makes me happy and seeing what stands in the way that is kind of holding me back and uh, being able to work through that in a as gentle way as possible. And sometimes it's, it's pretty uh, immediate, you know, maybe it's even a little startling, but uh, I think we're all a product of a, a sum total of all the experiences that we've had but as a consequence, all the experiences that we avoid. Mm, interesting. So being able to set all that stuff aside and choose the life you want to live and uh, and and really be willing to look at, you know, areas that need to look at, areas that need to grow in, no matter how old you are. Yeah. Maybe you could take us back to when this actually became a real passion for you, at what age and why? When I was about five years old, I had a great aunt. Her name was Gladys. And she would come live with us every winter to escape the freezing cold of Ottawa. And we <laughs> lived in Phoenix. So she would come down for a couple of months a year. And she was the matriarch of our family. And at a very young age, she started conditioning me that I was going to have an extraordinary life and that I was going to do extraordinary things with my life. Hmm. And I be- I believed her because she said it. And uh, And I had a really violent, bad home environment. So, I mean, she was the, the, I'd like, she could see the future and she could see that I would, I would become something much greater than my circumstances. And, um, and she told me to, to, to watch out and be curious about the people I bump into seemingly by chance, because they were often the ones that were here to teach me the most. Hmm. And so I was always curious about who I was going to meet. And I, and I, fortunately, when I was in the Marine Corps, about two weeks before I was supposed to get out, I bumped into a what they call a warrant officer, while I was drinking beer with a bunch of buddies of mine talking about getting out. (music) 
I only talked to him for five minutes, but I've been paying that forward ever since. He said, uh, the world, you're going to get out in a couple of weeks and the world doesn't need another hard ass Marine who can parachute out of helicopters and wow. shoot weapons. And, you know, just, he, he just said, you know, you need to start focusing on who you're becoming, not where you've been. And he, he told me to go to the bookstore and start reading personal development books. And I didn't even know what that meant. And so I, I did that. And I only talked to him for five minutes and I picked up a few books that spoke to me and um, Think and Grow Witch and The Magic of Thinking Big and Psycho-Cybernetics. And it lit my brain on fire to personal development because I, I didn't want to go to counseling. Hmm. Marines don't go to counseling in my mind. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and that's what really set my mind on fire to personal development that led to a lot of transformational work. John Henry, it sounds like your Aunt Gladys and your warrant officer both saw something in you that was special. And with all the time you've had to think back on that, what do you think that is? You know what? That's a that's a great question. I actually never really thought about what made me special. I was just astonished that I was gifted with such an incredible being in my Aunt Gladys. And uh, I just, I, I was instilled with a sense of belief that if I if I got a flat tire, look around. Who am I supposed to meet? There was always these. In, in my worst of times, I was always anticipating and expecting that these magical helpers would. Uh, I didn't even know about Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, you know, until a decade ago, you know. So it wasn't about that. But it, when I heard about the hero's journey and magical helpers, I knew exactly what she was giving me. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's you know that just is a testament to the importance and the power of words, even to a five-year-old. Like what we say to people really can make a difference, a huge difference in their lives, which is part of when we think about being a grandparent, part of what do you say to your grandchildren? And, and I think that just encourages me to make sure that I always have their back and I always say things to them that will give them positive feelings about themselves. And I, I love that. I think it's, it's just astonishing that that it has played such a huge role in your life. You know, you you have something you mentioned in your bio, something else that happened to you that also helped you have a passion for specifically military people, veterans, um, and that was the death of your son, correct? Right. His name was Danny, and, um, you know, my dad was in the Marine Corps in Korea and in the Air Force in Vietnam, and uh, I was in the Army and then the Marine Corps. And so it wasn't surprising that my son went in the military. Uh, he was into personal development just like I was, you know, and he was on his path and on his way. And it was really inspiring. He, he did much better than I did. He was more successful than I was at his age, which is what we, got, we all would want. Yeah. And it, it's a shock when you when you lose your child. So it really cracked me open. Otis Taylor has a song called Live Your Life. And the lyrics are pretty interesting. He said, death, death ain't going to touch you in your heart. It's just going to come on up. It's just going to walk on up and knock you down. Hmm. That's basically what happened. He was going to Syracuse University to get his master's in social work. And I was going to be the mental health guy. We're going to work with transitioning vets. So we were conceptualizing and, and writing, co-authoring an audiobook for veterans who were resistant to seek help. 
And so when he passed away, I just doubled down and finished it. So it it was really inspiring for me. And um, I write about this in my second book. I became the wounded healer for about 10 years. Because mm. if I didn't really, really move my pain, you know, I would just be eaten alive by it. Now I'm no longer wounded. I'm no longer giving away of myself to to move my pain. So it's just like I'm no longer in pain, but I still mess them. Mm-hmm. But the work that he did and the work that we did is really making a, a contribution. Yeah. I mean, you can speak from experience then. What is the biggest hurdle most people face when you're talking about a tr- transformational process? can't tell you how many people I talk to every day that are in their 60s and 70s and 80s and even 90s and they still suffer from childhood trauma. Yeah. They still suffer from their past and I mean they learn to deal with it but uh, you know it impacts how you parent your children and it impacts how you live in the world and what they observe about you as a person and um, I think it stands in the way a lot of you know how we perceive ourselves and what we think is possible and I think a lot of times we can shut down because of our pains and avoid things, whereas our kids and our grandkids need us to do just the opposite. If we really want to make a contribution, you know, them being able to have the healthiest version of us is is the most important thing. So absolutely, like that warrant officer told me, go to the bookstore, pick up anything that jumps off the shelf at you, get online, type in personal development on Amazon. And find anything that jumps off the page at you and start listening to audiobooks and reading books. You're never too old to figure out and think about who you are and what's possible for you. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people say, well, I can't afford counseling. I can't, I can't pay for counseling, that kind of thing. Or I'm not going to go talk to somebody because it's so hard to find a good counselor or whatever. Now, you're not exactly a counselor. You're a behavioral assessment analyst, correct? So what does that mean and how do you apply that to encourage others in the effort to be transformed? I mean, what is what is your job when it comes to that? Well, when I was um, in my late 20s, after I got out of the Marine Corps, I came across a very simple communication survey from a couple of skilled behavioral assessment analysts that was very easy, very simple. It had its roots in the Army Air Corps during World War II when they're trying to differentiate who should go to bomber school or fighter school from the young men who were being inducted. Mm-hmm. And so they were able to f- figure out temperaments that would determine somebody who was quick to anger and flew by the seat of their pants, well, they could become a fighter pilot. And if you were really rule-bound and didn't like conflict, well, then you go right to bomber school. So mm-hmm. I like that story from the military to practical civilian you know, environments. And so I, I took it and I found out so, so much about myself. I, I just said, I want to master this. I don't want to just learn this. And I became an analyst. I got certified and you know, I provide a mirror for people to help them see themselves in new and helpful ways, like how we get in our own way and what to do about it. Hmm. It's a big part of it. It's 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 not professional counseling, but it's it's pretty close because you're you're able to help people have a mirror. Most people don't think about what they think about. I mean, think about that. Yeah. Right. We just get, we just bump into things and we think about it and we just kind of move along the day and we're fairly unconscious most of the time. But when you can look at the patterns of what stands in your way, you know, that's a form of transformation when you can make better choices and you can not be so triggered and not be so, you know, kind of drug around by your triggers. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, I'm just thinking here as you're talking about what a great mindset that you have, what's sometimes called a growth mindset, always looking for uh, opportunities to better understand yourself and to grow and develop and heal and help others to do the same. Sometimes you must run into people who, who just are not thinking that way. You can see what's going on and you can see that they don't have a growth mindset. What, how do you help those people? I think you have to find out what motivates them. Why would they want to be different? What's at stake? Do they have family? Do they have children they don't get along with that they wish they'd get along with? I mean, chances are if they're closed down to learning, they might be closed down to other things as well. Sure. You know, some people are pretty determined that I'm fine. Leave me alone. And I get that. That, that usually means there's some sort of pain under the surface. Mm. And it's not, it's not always easy to get at or talk about. Once I develop a level of rapport with somebody, you know, I, I suggest that they, they go online and they, they go to truesage.com. It's a website run by a good friend of mine, um, Dr. Brian Allman, and he was worked with Dr. Vince Felitti for 20 years. They developed the Adverse Childhood Experiences Survey. Okay. So systematically, I just suggest people, hey, let's eliminate a couple of things here. You know, let's, if you didn't have any trauma, no need to take the survey. You know, if you didn't have any terrible experiences, that's okay. But a lot of times people have had one or two or three or four or five or a lot of difficult experiences. And so it's a 10 question survey where you answer yes to how many or you answer yes to. Hmm. And um, it really helps you look at the types of trauma that impacted you as a youngster. I don't care how old you are. This is interesting. Yeah. What do you do about people who think they didn't have any trauma or they just don't remember the trauma? They've buried it so deeply that they don't think they had it. You're talking about anybody you might know or be married <laughs> to. <you know? laughs> well, it's yeah. like my, I joke with, about my wife. She's got an extra happy gene. Yeah. You know, I think. I think maybe she got her roller skates taken from her once or something, her tap shoes and that traumatized her. But uh, for the most part, she was inoculated, you know, early on to, to, to deal with things and had a very healthy upbringing where I was just the contrast and the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Okay. So basically I, I, I usually do the, 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 the adverse childhood experiences survey. A lot of people might know it as the ACE survey. And uh, I'll get to the next one in a second, but if you answer four out of, 10 questions, yes, then your chances of health risks at a later age are exponentially higher for diabetes, hypertension, alcoholism, addiction, uh, rage, anger. And if you answer six yeses out of 10, those risk factors go up exponentially and statistically a person will lose 20 years off their lifespan. And um, I answered 10 out of 10 yeses. immediately was shocked into managing my health risks and just a massive transfiguration of my life, my body, my health. And I just, it got my attention. So that's really a big one. And on this little communication survey, it's pretty innocuous, takes five minutes. And it helps you look at your 
communication style, your behavioral temperaments. And that's what I do the most with people where it opens up a conversation because you pretty much know who you are. And this tells you who you are. Like, thanks for telling me what I already knew about myself, John Henry. What do I do about this? But it gives you like what you're predisposed to. Are you, are you, do you need control and respect? Do you need to be liked? Do you need to be collaborating and getting things done with and through people? Do you need appreciation and gratitude from people? Do you need to be right? Do you trust easily or are you really introspective and have to have things proven? And once you can put a mirror, give somebody a mirror to look at, like, who am I? Yeah. It gets it gets pretty interesting. And I, I deal with hardcore, skeptical, pissed off, traumatized combat vets a lot. Yeah. Mm. And if this kind of work can get through to them and they can do their personal development work, and I mean, talk, I'm talking about Korean War vets in their 80s. Yeah. You know, you know, my dad was like that. So it's never really too late to take a snapshot. And people are generally curious. And the more hardcore they are, the more this says, wow, that's really me. And uh, so it's pretty accurate. It's pretty consistent. And, and, it, and it opens up conversations. I can't really answer your question and say, this is how you do it for people who are like this. But I, I just learned to just be accepting and go in empty. Don't bring my judgment. Just, just allow people to be who they are, and then we start there. And for the benefit of our listeners, we'll make sure that the links to those two surveys are in the show notes for this. One big question I have is, what do you do as an older couple? You're, let's assume you're married, you have grandchildren, and one of the couple is struggling with mental health, PTSD, whatever it is. And it interferes with the relationship the healthy spouse might have with the adult kids and the grandchildren. I mean, is there a way to handle that without just ignoring the unhealthy spouse, like putting them away somewhere? You, do they go away by themselves or do you, you know, do you do that or what? Well, that's a, that's a really great question. And I'm sure it differs for everybody, but I can tell you what, I have to deal with this personally. Hmm. Now, I've got five grandchildren, you know, that range from 23 down to four. And I have... You know, I still suffer from PTSD. Mm. I still suffer from grief and loss, but it doesn't consume my life the way it used to. I have very brief moments because I've learned how to shorten the episodes and shallow, make them more shallow to where they're just more like, oh, okay, there it is. I see it, but I don't have to stay there for long periods of time. It might only last three minutes or five minutes or even a nanosecond. Mm -hmm. But my wife and I have a pretty good agreement. You know, when I'm not feeling up to things, she she just tells me she loves me and it's okay. And she's all right if I withdraw and I go do some self-care. Okay. And even if we're having a barbecue and I'm at the pool, everybody's having a great time and John Henry's absent. My family understands. You know, they read my books. And <laughs> you know, it's 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 really it's it's something we've learned to accept that I'm I'm not always happy and bubbly and positive, but I, I care and I'm warm and I'm sincere, but you know, when I'm hurting, they just give me a little space. And, and that, that really works like open communication and being transparent about, you know what? I just don't feel like being around a bunch of people right now. Yeah. You know, and if you, if your spouse can't articulate that and you're the healthy one, then just tell them you love them and just say, Hey, I'm going to I go hang out with the grandkids and make sure that we have a presence and that they're they're feeling that we're here for them and you take it easy and I'll be back in a little while. That also works. And, and that's without judgment in the sense of 
go away. We don't want you here. You're just being annoying. Right. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> I tell you, I meet so many people that it's just not possible for them, them to even understand how they're showing up. You know, and um, I, I, I guess all you can do is tell them you love them. And for the sake of these little developing minds, we've got to we've got to find a way to manage this. I'll go there from time to time. I'll come back. You're not wrong. Everything's fine. But you don't have to be uncomfortable if you're suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what it is. People are suffering and they don't they don't know what to do about it. So it's up to us to kind of let them know that that we love them. It's going to be okay. We accept them for who they are, you know, and do the best we can to raise healthy little kids. Well, what what I'm hearing you say though, is that the unhealthy spouse at that point has self-awareness enough to know, I can't handle this. This is too, too much noise. This is too much pushing on me. This is too much, whatever I need to go. And I don't know, work on my boat in the garage, or I need to go down to my wood shop, or I need to go sit in my study. So what, what do you do if you're a healthy spouse and your unhealthy spouse seems to be unaware that they are spinning out of control or they, you know, aren't handling things well? Yeah, I think at some point you've got to let the person deal with their grief and their loss or their suffering. Um, you've got to try to help them as much as you can. But I, I do deal with this quite a bit with families who have lost their their children, you know, uh, gold, gold star families. You know, men are more likely, in my view, not generally, but I, I've seen that men are more likely to say, I'm going to go work on my truck. Mm -hmm. And and the spouses, the mothers and the grandmothers, they congregate with other women and they work through their, what, they're, what they're going through. And But it's still a different form of suffering. Sure. You know, mental health is a terrible, tough, tough, tough thing. And it's different for everybody. But I, you know, I... I, I, I at some point, I might, I'm not a mental health professional. All I can say is for, for me and for the people I work with, if, if you try to push them too hard, you know, there's an old saying that a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Hmm. <laughs> you're not going to make somebody better because you're tired of them being, you know, in their, in their suffering. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't, you can't force it. And acceptance is a very difficult thing. John Henry, can you recommend some resources for folks who want to do some more reading or listening about this? There's a couple of audiobooks that I created, and I specifically did them in an audiobook form. The first one is called Transitioning Veterans, How We Get in Our Own Way and What to Do About It. And you can go right to transitioningveteransbook.com. And it's a legacy project for my son, Danny. But it's literally an hour and 20-minute recorded conversation between the critical mind, which is that part of us that hijacks us constantly and interrupts us from those precious moments where we're somewhere else instead of being here because we've been traumatized. And it's a conversation between the rational, reasonable mind, like I'm talking to you right now, and there's another veteran that plays the voice of the critical mind, where it's a dual narration. And uh, so I find if you're if you have some vets uh, that are in your audience, or they have a family member that's a vet, or they have a son or grandson or daughter mm -hmm. who served in the military, and they have no idea what to talk to them about. It's a great experience to understand what in the world is going on in the head of a lot of veterans when they go to restaurants, when they can't be around a lot of people, 
when they're getting triggered all the time. So we wrote this for treatment resistant veterans who don't want to go to help. Like my father went to help one time with a civilian counselor and she said, I understand how you feel. And he stood up and called her an idiot and walked out and never went <sighs> back to get help again. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's one audio book, transitioningveteransbook.com and then harvestingwisdom.com or Amazon. You can go to my second book is called Be the Dawn in the Darkness. It's the, the, the relentless pursuit of becoming who we are meant to be. Mm. And that it's, a, it's deeply transformational, but it's disguised as a narrative memoir. It's not designed to tell people how to live their lives. It's simply yeah. like my own personal journals that was never supposed to see the light of day about <laughs> dealing with trauma and then dealing with reconciliation and dealing with transformation and finding joy and finding happiness and being able to live your life, you know, on your own terms, instead of being drug around by your triggers and your despair and your grief and loss. Well, you know what they say, they say good writers should write what they know. So it sounds like you are writing from experience and we appreciate your time with us. And, and, uh, we will include those links on our show notes as well. Thank you so much, John Henry, again, and we appreciate your time. Thank you. It was great being here. Wow, that was really great. I mean, I am so thankful for his enlightening us about a subject that's often ignored or suppressed even because we recognize that war can take a toll on people and we're so grateful that he's working hard to help recovering veterans. But it's not just recovering veterans as he talked about. It's people who are dealing with you know, traumatic things in their childhoods, uh, PTSD for other reasons besides war. It's easy to think about this as a big problem, small problem kind of dichotomy where people who have experienced war and significant kind of trauma where people have been badly hurt or killed, they're operating at a different level of traumatic impact. But they you're, are. They oh, are. Yes, and. <laughs> yes, right. Then there are these others who didn't have those experiences, but they had other similarly impactful ones. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about um, healthy and unhealthy spouse, but man, what do you do if you have two unhealthy people together, like a, a grandmother and a grandfather? I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, talk about dysfunction. That's, that's going to take a lot of work. You know, they usually say in a couple, there's one person who gives you the ulcer and the other person who has the ulcer. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so normally you get one healthy and one unhealthy, but I suppose it's possible to get two unhealthy people. And then that's just that's just a recipe for disaster because the next, the next generation has to undo all of that. Well, so let's put these two pieces together. There may be couples where both grandparents are living uh, through being in an unhealthy place and they mm -hmm. can't help each other. But they are listening to this podcast because they want to be intentional grandparents. Yeah. Could that be? Yeah. And and it sounds like, you know, the resources that John Henry gave us are great. And I'm sure there are other ones as well that would help people through that. But, you know, what you're trying to avoid is estrangement from your grandchildren. You want to learn how to be healthy. You want to get healthy. And I think this podcast is one of those resources that helps you do that. John Henry Parker is the third in a series of three guests, all of whom have said to us something on the order of, if you hear from people who, who listen to these episodes and get something from them, let us know. And so 
we're going to relay that request out to you. These last three episodes, uh, the one today about um, transformation, the one uh, uh, last episode, which was about um, financial planning, and the one before that about transformational listening. If you've been impacted by any of those three guests, and I feel like we got pretty lucky, three stellar conversations in a row, let us know so that we can forward that feedback on to our guests. In the meantime, I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And thanks for joining us in living the grand life. Next time on The Grand Life. Now I'm writing the last book, which is called Being a Distance Grandchild. And this is fascinating because nobody has ever asked our grandchildren who are scattered around the world, how is it or how was it being a distance grandchild. The response is like, oh, nobody's ever asked me that. That's next time on The Grand Life.